the answer to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? Um, in this fall, man, it's, it's very tough. Um, in this fall, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Miami Heat. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Miami. Uh, uh, South Beach, bringing the heat. Uh, jig it out. Uh. Here I am in the place where I come let go In Miami, the base and the sunset low Every day like a Mardi Gras Everybody party all day, no work, all play okay. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money Today is Friday, July 9th I'm Alex Bloomberg and I am joined by a very special guest host NPR's correspondent, sports expert, Mike Pesca I have decided to take my talents to Planet <laughs> Money for today For today Yes that is, uh, of course, a LeBron James reference. We're going to be talking about LeBron James and his impact on the economy. The LeBronomy. <laughs> we'll do a LeBron economy-ectomy today. <laughs> and actually, this this discussion touches on a whole bunch of things. Uh, we're going to take a tour through the criminal underworld. Thank God. Touch a little bit on the nature of human happiness. Um, and we're going to discuss an economic term used to measure something that cannot be measured in units that can't be defined. So before we do any of that, it is my job to bring on a guy from the blog cave. And I want you to know he has been offered spots at six other blog caves throughout the country. He could go to Atlanta's blog cave. He could go to Miami's blog cave. So he's being courted by blog caves. And and after he brings us today's indicator, Jacob Goldstein will tell us which blog cave will be acquiring his services. Jacob, take it away. Thanks, Pesca. Today's indicator, 677. 677. 677, that's how many Chinese yuan you can buy for 100 bucks. Uh, And according to the U.S. Treasury Department, today's indicator is actually too high. Uh, The Treasury thinks you really shouldn't be able to buy that many yuan for 100 bucks. So so in other words, they're saying the yuan is undervalued, but the the Treasury has stopped short of saying that China is manipulating its currency. Um, and this is an issue we've reported on for a while. Uh, we had a podcast about it a couple months ago. Until last month, China was pegging its currency to the dollar instead of allowing it its currency to appreciate. And that meant that U.S. imports were more expensive in China and Chinese exports were cheaper in the United States. Right. And this is a big deal for a lot of reasons. People have argued that it actually hurts job growth in the U.S., right? Because if we're not selling as many of our exports to China, there aren't as many people working here. Uh, So last month, China said it would be more flexible with its currency. And the yuan has risen against the dollar since then, but only by about 1%. So by comparison, the yuan rose by more than 20% against the dollar the last time China let its currency appreciate. That was back between 2005 and 2008. So the Treasury report doesn't call China a manipulator, but it does point out all these reasons the yuan should be more expensive than it is. And for more on why all this matters, we will we'll actually link to the podcast we did the, about this a while ago. The link will be on our blog, npr.org slash money. Right. So that'll be on the blog. Uh, I'll be on ESPN tonight at 6 p.m. announcing my choice of where I'm going to go. Okay. You've got a lot of hometown fans pulling for you. You know that, Jacob. Appreciate that. All right. So, Mike, we're going to be trying to figure out, like, how much exactly is LeBron worth? Both in dollars and cents and then in other things that are like... In the, in the more ephemeral type things. Exactly. Yes. The price of justice, the price of heartache in Cleveland, the price of joy in Miami. We'll actually be trying to calculate these things. All right. So um, you want to, in case um, there's people out there who have no idea what we're talking about, you want to just bring us up to speed? Yes. 
Basketball was invented by Dr. James <laughs> Naismith in the YMCA. You're starting back too far. Okay, cut to just as English was first <laughs> used by the Picts, a Celtic tribe, a Celtic tribe in northern Scotland, but it didn't really get good until Shakespeare. The same with J- LeBron James. He has perfected the art of basketball. He's the best basketball player in the world. His contract were up, was up. All these teams, the NBA has this uh, weird rule. It works for them but doesn't work that well for an athlete like LeBron James who, if he were like any other American and could get paid what the market would bear, would probably get you know $90 million a year or something. But the NBA has a salary cap. So to prepare to get under the salary cap, all these teams started shedding salary uh, for years. So coming into last night when LeBron James made his decision, as we're taping this on a Friday, the teams that were in contention to get LeBron James heavily discounted services were the Chicago Bulls, the Miami Heat, the New York Knicks, the New Jersey, maybe soon to be Brooklyn Nets, the Los Angeles Clippers. Did I mention his his old team, the Cleveland Cavaliers? All of these teams were hoping LeBron would choose them. And then he made his announcement. And that was the announcement that you heard at the top of the podcast where he said he is going to play with Miami. And he joins the two other best free agents, guys named Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and they're forming a super team, the likes of which we haven't seen since uh, Thunderclap Newman, which was a super group that sang, I'm forgetting their song, it'll hit me soon. So it is part of the whole run-up to all this, all these cities filled with civic pride were like doing all these studies showing... Here's how much LeBron is going to be worth to our local economy. Right. And they, because uh, some of it was justification because most of the cities spent at least some money on videos and promotions trying to woo LeBron. And someone would say, How are you spending municipal money on getting an athlete? And they would always say, You have to realize how much this guy means to the local economy. And that's the question. How much does he mean to the local economy? There was one study in uh, Chicago which had him over $2 billion to the local economy. And then insane. The- Just insane. And then your favorite study was the New York Economic uh, Development Council study, which you thought was pretty reasonable, right? Well, yes, because a lot of these uh, – I've I've done a lot of reporting on sports studies, and they're notoriously terrible. So what a lot of teams did in calculating how much LeBron would be worth, they said, well – if LeBron plays, they'll sell out all their games, and a sellout is worth whatever, $12 million for that game. So therefore, LeBron's worth $12 million a game. Stupid. At least New York, the EDC, the Economic Development Corporation, uh, spokesman named David Lombino, acknowledged the Knicks pretty much sell out their games anyway. So you can't say that LeBron has an extra value in terms of regular season games. The Knicks haven't been making the playoffs, so he assumed the Knicks would have a large number of playoff games. And the other thing I liked about this spokesman is he flat out said, the difficult problem with the Knicks is that they sell out almost every home game, even though they've sucked. <laughs> so it's sort of nice to have him acknowledge that and then to use the word suck. You, you want he actually more gov- said this in the press release? Yeah, you want more government officials saying the word sucked. <laughs> right. Yeah. One other problem with these studies, <laughs> yeah. if I may, um, they, they always calculate the – and this might go against what you're saying. They calculate the official price for tickets. Yes. But as you and I both know – it's hard to get tickets at the official price, especially when you're dealing with a superstar like LeBron. Because tickets are sold out. So what you have to do and what you did is venture into the shadowy underworld. <laughs> the shadowy underworld. And so I actually um, reached out to my contacts in the shadowy underworld, the shadowy underworld of ticket scalping. And I was do- basically what I wanted to find out was, was I wanted to find out the following. How does LeBron James in Cleveland compare to Michael Jordan 
who played for the Chicago Bulls in Chicago. Right. So what was their impact? Right. And the and the tickets, scalp tickets are good because they're, I think, more reflective of the real market. Right. The, the team sells the official tickets through the official venue. People buy them and then resell them. And so it turns out that scalped tickets on the secondary market in Chicago versus tickets for LeBron to see LeBron in Cleveland, it's not even close. Like who's who's better? Jordan. Jordan. Jordan in Chicago was you, it was a much bigger markup. Yeah. So so first Cleveland. I talked to a guy named Tim Louders. He is uh he works at a, a, a company called Tickets Galore. Tickets Galore, my least favorite Bond villainess. <laughs> in Dublin in Dublin, Ohio. The re, uh and so they resell tickets of all sorts to Ohio sporting events and he said he was just guessing, but he he figured if you had to put a number on a twenty five percent markup to see LeBron James. So the ticket officially costs you $100, it'll cost you $125 if you want to buy it from the secondary market. Mm-hmm. But he said sometimes it'll be double. Sometimes, but he said sometimes they sell their tickets for a loss, um, which really surprised me. And he said that sometimes Cavs games don't even sell out during the regular season. Does he mean a loss under face value of the ticket or yeah. he paid or lost? No, no, oh. under, under face. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then now compared to Chicago during the Jordan era, that would never have happened. So I emailed my shadowy underworld con- contact. Uh, and, and this is what he wrote back. Quote, during the Jordan era, the face was 35 to $75 roughly. And for regular season games, they re- routinely sold for $250 at the very lowest to $1,000 for big games in the first five rows. Finals, we, it was $1,000 just to get in. That was the lowest price in the building. And it went up to $5,000 a seat for courtside. He said, parentheses, my biggest sale was four seats for $5,200 each, and this was to an L.A. broker who presum- presumably sold it for more. Yeah. Also, I think probably we should note that ticket pricing has gotten a lot more efficient, even in the, since Jordan played. I mean, now there's sites like StubHub. There are other sites. There's more efficiency in the pricing market. So it wouldn't surprise me that all things, even if they were two equally sought-after guys to watch, it doesn't surprise me too much that the Jordan ticket is worth more. It might not just be a referendum on Jordan. A lot of it might have to say about how efficient that secondary ticket market is overall. But, Mike, that's not what we're here to talk about. Right. Vulgar dollars and cents. Right. So we've tried to put some price tags on how much he's worth in terms of tickets, how much he's worth in dollars and cents that we could try to get our heads around. But, you know, the deeper question is how much is he worth sort of psychically to a city? How much is he worth to how a city feels? And I think what we were trying to do is compare it to in the country of Bhutan, they have the gross national happiness, which is an interesting concept. So we said, can this be applied to a municipality? Could LeBron have affected a city's gross municipal happiness? And let's report our findings. Well, I, I, I lived in Chicago during the Jordan years, and I definitely had the sense that even if you didn't care about basketball, which I did, but if you didn't, your life was better somehow because Jordan was there. So it turns out there's this economic concept that explains this. It's called They call it utility which is basically the enjoyment or benefit you get out of something. So you, you, the things we buy bring us utility, certainly. But we also get utility out of things we can't buy or that we get for free. And so according to Professor Roy Brooks at John Carroll University in Cleveland, LeBron brought a lot of sort of impossible-to-measure utility to Cleveland. Stuff that you can't put a dollar value on. It's, it's there. You know it. It's a sense of well-being. Uh-huh. It's also a part of a community thing. I mean, you just get to talk about it and uh, 
go over what happened in the prior game and so on. Right. That is a, a, another big part of it, I think, that I definitely oh, no felt question. in Chicago. Talk oh, more about yeah, that. Yeah, the camaraderie, there's no question. It. And like I said, that's part of the community gain that occurs. And like I said, just meeting friends, associates, or even strangers and talking is kind of a common body of what you can talk about. And that's generally part of it. All the little spots of utility gains that occur when you're watching a game that are part of the enjoyment and part of uh, the satisfaction, or you wouldn't be sitting there in front of the TV or paying to be at the game. When Uh, you say the utility gains that occur when you're watching TV, what what you're saying is... Just the enthusiasm of seeing that three-pointer shot and watching the play. The measurement then, we're just saying you're getting more utility. Now, there actually is, economists have a unit that they use to measure utility, right? Yes. It's it's kind of like a widget. We don't know what it is. It's called a utile. So it's measured in utiles, which is uh, so that they can theoretically talk about it and talk about, you know, indifference between choosing A versus B. And nobody knows exactly what a utile is or what it's worth. You tell tell me what a widget is and I'll tell you what a utile (laughs) is. But the way you would think about it is... So say LeBron does not exist in Cleveland, and I'm a random TV watcher in Cleveland, and I'm watching whatever rerun is on right now, and I'm getting some benefit from it. I like doing it, so I'm sure. getting some sort of enjoyment from it. So let's say I'm getting 10 utiles of enjoyment right. out of it, okay. right? And then, But then the argument is then if now all of a sudden we're in a world where a LeBron James game is on, if that's available to me, then I'm going to turn to watch that and I'm going to get 20 utiles exactly. of enjoyment. So I've become richer by 10 utiles yes. Yes. just the, because LeBron James exists in my and city. Well, we, well, what the point is when we're arguing about what life is all about, it's about the utility. It's not about the dollars. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's, it's a really interesting thing. So when, when I'm imagining it now, what I'm imagining is when you have a player like LeBron James in your city, it just basically invests every sort of every activity that you're already doing. It invests it with like... Yeah, it's it added better. utility. Sure. It makes it better. Makes more people more satisfied more of the time. So there's this blog that I like to read called Marginal uh, Revolution, and mm-hmm. it's uh, written by this economist, Tyler Cowen, who's out of George Mason University. And he had this post a while ago where he actually posted an equation that attempted to quantify utility. Okay. Now, he wasn't talking about LeBron James. He was talking about the World Cup. Which country's victory in the World Cup would provide the greatest utility worldwide? And one of his readers actually suggested an, an equation, uh-huh. which, is, um, which I'm showing you right here. Number of native fans times uh, the joy of native fans upon winning minus the misery upon losing. That's basically the first term, and then there's right. a whole discussion about it. Right. What joy, how to quantify joy. Right. So... Yeah. so um, Brazil has the most fans because after the United States are the most populous country, but they have the most, you know, of soccer fans. Most Americans aren't soccer fans. So it'd probably be Brazil would have the most fans, but the English would experience so much misery upon losing. I mean, they really revel in their misery. Exactly. So I called Tyler Cowen. Clearly, he's thought about this a lot. There's a big discussion on his blog about it. I called him and asked him, how do we apply this formula to LeBron? Where should he have gone to achieve maximum utility in the world? And it turns out, he made exactly the wrong choice. Yeah. LeBron, for added utility, should have gone to the New York Knicks because that's a big city with a terrible team and they would have enjoyed him quite a bit. <laughs> Number two choice would be Chicago. It's a big city. It's not a terrible team. It's a good team. Uh, he would have made it much better, maybe won a championship. Uh, but to send him to Miami is almost a place that brings the least additional utility to the United States, as far as I can see. 
it, it lowers happiness when you cram too many superstars into one city, which is what Miami is now doing. It lowers so fans, happiness. Right. They were already enjoying Dwayne Wade. So now they have three stars, and they're not going to get three times the pleasure. The, the definition of utility that I read, it had, a, it had an example of a chocolate bar. If, you, if you're very hungry, you eat a chocolate bar, you get a lot of utility out of that chocolate bar. It's very, you're very happy. But then you eat a second chocolate bar, and then, you know, it diminishes a little bit. You get like maybe half of the utility because you've already had one and now you're starting to feel sick. And if you do a third one, you, you sort of go into full on, you know, sickness, basically. And that, that's sort of the same principle here, right? You get one superstar, you're very, very happy. You get two, you're pretty happy, but then you start piling them on. It, Absolutely. I would also utility. stress, if you look at statistics on who were the two players who handled the ball the most last year, numbers one and two were LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. So you don't play the game with two balls. It's like you're dividing them up, and you would actually have more total social happiness if they played in different cities. So under this calculation, like I, I want to fight with you then about where he should have gone. Because, okay, say everybody in New York gets a little happier, but they're not going to be as happy as everybody in Cleveland. So if you're talking about utility per person... It sounds like the utility per person is much higher in Cleveland, and maybe that outweighs the overall utility that he would give, give to New York and, and or, and or uh, Chicago. It's possible. That's what you need the equation for. But I think one important difference is the New York team was so bad that no one expects LeBron to bring a championship right away. Uh -huh. So they're happy just to have him. Whereas Cleveland has been knocking at the door for a number of years. Miami, they now think they can win it all. You have two cities that are set up for disappointment. And the New York team, their fans, I think, would just be happy to have LeBron James and win half their games. And that's why my guess is you'd have more total happiness with LeBron James as a New York Knick. I would, I would uh, add, I think you've missed on something, which is that in terms of national utility, nationally, people love for the Knicks to suffer. So going, not going to New York marginally helps every other fan a little bit. But he's right. I mean, the Knicks being really bad, it's just such a pall over this whole city. I think he could have, uh, he could have lifted the moods of all New Yorkers. And a lot of people from other places eventually come to New York. Can't tell you how many people say, oh, yeah, I grew up in Nebraska, but I came to New York and I became a Yankee fan. So right. I think Cowan is mostly onto something here, right. actually. And, the, and, and underlying a lot of what he was saying is this, this concept of negative utility. So, mm -hmm. like, LeBron makes your day when he's better and he's winning, but he can also crush you yeah. when he loses. Yeah. Or, for example, if he leaves the city that he's been playing for a long time. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Dan Gilbert, released a letter that almost literally started with the phrase, I was eating some grapes last night, and man, were they sour. <laughs> he not only uh, tried to reassure the fans, he trashed LeBron. He came out and said he quit in all these games that it didn't seem like he quit in. Gilbert basically did the equivalent of yelling, I faked all my orgasms. <laughs> during after a breakup. <laughs> the, the letter begins, Dear Cleveland, all of Northeast Ohio, Cleveland Cavaliers supporters, wherever you may be, as you know, our former hero who grew up in the very region that he deserted this evening is no longer a Cleveland Cavalier. He then goes on to say, this is a bitter disappointment to all of us, and then he says, uh, fans, you simply don't deserve this kind of cowardly betrayal. And you know what this says to me? This is not, I mean, a... It's unprofessional. Yeah. Probably not something he should have done as the owner of the Cavs who's trying to attack, attract new talent now in the wake of LeBron James' departure. But really, that is heartbreak. Yeah. 
And I mean, that that certainly has to count as um, negative utility. He's certainly not alone. Like the entire city of Cleveland is feeling jilted right now. And so and this is a danger, I think, with 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 LeBron is that there's this other team, the Lakers, mm-hmm. the hated Los Angeles Lakers. Heard about them. So they have their fans, certainly, in L.A., but basically everybody else in the country hates them. And so when they win, they add utility to L.A., but they de- they take away utility from the rest of the country. Yeah, so the 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 uh, sum total of utility might not even change. Down, maybe possibly. Yes. Maybe they're maybe they're hurting the country by their very I've existence. Often, I've often said that the Lakers are hurting the country. <laughs> exactly. So now LeBron, by going to Miami, breaking the hearts of Cleveland, maybe everybody's going to side with Cleveland. It's possible that he's done that, that he will become the L.A. Lakers. That he hurt the country. I ran that by Tyler. He didn't really buy it. <laughs> Should be, but keep in mind also a lot of those people, they're going to hate something. And if you get them hating a sports team, it may be, you know, actually an improvement on something else <laughs> they might hate. So I still want to consider counting that as a, a benefit right. relative to the available alternatives. <laughs> right. Right. Um, what is that? The, 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 um, the, is, that, is that what we call What is that? A replacement good? In economics, too? Yeah, I would call it a portfolio effect. But a lot of celebrities and also politicians, they perform the service. Like people who hate whoever the president is, a lot of them get pleasure from that hatred. And it helps them find an outlet that otherwise might be more destructive. Though it can be destructive hating a president, too. So sports diffuse some of our worst tendencies. And they mobilize, I think, some of our better tendencies, which are like appreciation of excellence, competition, achievement. Uh, so mostly I'm pro-sports. What is it called? Sublimate? They could sublimate their own hatred that they uh, or negative energy that they put somewhere else and just channel it into sports. Now, the one thing that we didn't get into that much, so I wanted to touch on it a little bit, was I talked before about Bhutan and their and their concept of gross national happiness. And the gro- the GNH is the gross national happiness is based on a few things. It's based on ecology and sustainable sustainable development. It's based on cultural values. It's based on good governance. This is how they try to calculate it. So I said, all right, during the LeBron era, did, did Cleveland's gross municipal happiness actually increase? Very hard to figure out. As measured by this index. As measured by the things that Bhutan uses to calculate gross national happiness. So let's take, for instance, uh, good governance. Cleveland's had pretty terrible governance before LeBron. They have pretty terrible governance through the LeBron thing. Two years ago, the federal government announced huge indictments. They arrested all these Cuyahoga Cuyahoga County officials. But I guess maybe you could say that now, after all the arrests were done, the mayor there in Cleveland has decent uh, popularity ratings. So maybe things are getting better. But I think that there's actually no way to look at governance and say that really improved because of LeBron or even during LeBron. If you look at things like if you want to talk about law enforcement as a measure of governance, the murder rate in Cleveland has actually gone up slightly during the LeBron era as the murder rate nationally has gone down. Can we blame LeBron? I think we can. And then if you want to talk about cultural values, as a proxy for this, I was looking at the Cleveland Orchestra, which was in terrible shape when LeBron got there and arguably may be in worse shape now. Um, They had their first strike since 1980 uh, for 10 days earlier this year. They have a huge deficit. So just as a proxy, the Cleveland Orchestra has not been doing well at all. And we should note that one of the only successful things the Cleveland Orchestra has done is open a residency in Miami. 
and the Cleveland Orchestra plays for a few months in Miami, and actually that's quite successful. But I will say this. There is, of all these things, they talk about the environment and sustainability. During LeBron's era, Cleveland has shot up the sustainability charts. It jumped 12 places. So last year, it finished 16 among the 50 largest cities, up from 28 in terms of uh, taking ecological health seriously. So culture hasn't done well. Crime hasn't done well. Uh, the the ecology of Cleveland seems to have done well. Overall, it's a wash in terms of uh, LeBron's impact on the municipal happiness of Cleveland. So to review, municipal happiness, hard, eh, eh, a wash. Eh. Uh, uh, impossible to define utiles. I think we have to say that there's a there's a positive contribution. It's hard to exactly say what right. it is. But I think you also proved that he made the wrong choice in terms of maximizing national utiles by picking Miami. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike Pesca, NPR Sports Correspondent. Thank you so much for joining us. That was that does it for us. Please send us your own formulas for calculating the utility of LeBron James. And go to our blog to find a link to an interview I did with that underground ticket scalper for This American Life, as well as a link to Tyler Cowan's utility equation. And if you want, we'll take all your thoughts, your questions, and your comments. PlanetMoney at NPR.org. That's the email address. I'm Mike Pesca. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. 